again, at least for my context in my community, because there were folks speaking our language, there were folks that had come from where we had come from, and there was an openness to saying, hey, you're familiar in a place that's unfamiliar. Yeah. And I think, um, again, that just meeting people where they are, that, that never gets old. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another edition of The Link. I'm really excited that you've tuned in today. Today is a really special edition of The Link because today we get a chance to celebrate National Hispanic Heritage Month. This was a month that was started and commemorated back in 1988. It was signed into legislation by then-President Ronald Reagan. Now, broadly, it speaks to the contribution that Americans of Hispanic heritage have had on our country's uh, arts, economics, business, education, and sciences. But today, as Christians, we want to take a moment to focus in on the spiritual contributions that those of Hispanic heritage have had on church history and even on the spreading of the gospel in our contemporary moment. I'm really fired up about the guests who are joining us today. First, my good friend and brother, Eli Garza. Pastor Eli has pastored in the metro Detroit area for over 20 years. He is a thought leader and a graduate of both the University of Michigan and Michigan Theological Seminary, now Moody Theological Seminary. Pastor Eli, thanks for joining oh, us. Oh, it's great. Que tal, Chris? Como estas? Well, it's good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> now, also, I'm really excited to have with us Pastor Felix Quinones. For those of you who are at Detroit campus, you will know Pastor Felix's smiling face because he helps to oversee our next steps and our assimilation ministries to connect with uh, new members and visitors. If you're not a member of the Troy campus, come by and visit. Pastor Felix would love to see you. Pastor Felix, thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Pastor Chris. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I've tuned into a lot of Link episodes, and so uh, grateful to just get a chance to make it. And uh, un placer poder estar aquí con ustedes hoy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, I'm going to say this. Now you're on the hot seat. So All right. <laughs> both of you get a chance to educate us. In many ways, uh, the, there are a lot of these episodes that I come to and, the, you know, I feel like a subject matter expert in some ways. But this episode, like some of our episodes, I come as a learner and I pray that it will be edifying for those who are watching. Let's start with just a little bit about terminology. You know, so often uh, you hear the term Hispanic or Latino. What's the difference? Often they're used interchangeably. What's the distinction there, Felix? Yeah, this is a great question. I know in uh, getting ready uh, to come, you know, and just be part of this episode, I, I had conversation with my fam some family members uh, and just talking a little bit about that. Um, my family, we moved here uh, from Puerto Rico back when I was three. And so I've called the United States home since then. Um, and when we first came, I remember very much uh, my parents, aunts and uncles always saying, hey, we're Hispanic, you know, and that's, and you know, now that's referred to, that's just a language, you know, we speak Spanish predominantly uh, in Puerto Rico, obviously, uh, but they would say now that we're Latinos. When we first moved here, I remember saying, hey, we're not Latinos because we're not from Central or South America, we're from the Caribbean. Um, now that's changed, um, but now it's used inter interchangeably, but um, I would say Hispanic refers to certainly just the language, being a Spanish-speaking country, and then Latinos being of Latin descent. Yeah, I think it's amazing for us to celebrate in part how God has worked through the diverse peoples of the world. One of the beauties about our God and the way his grace has been at work is that he has worked through peoples throughout all of the world to bring him glory. And so, Pastor Eli, when you think about this celebration of the contribution 
of those of uh, Hispanic heritage to the church. What comes to your heart, man? Wow. Well, evangelical Latinos are really small in number. Uh, in, in fact, uh, the first established church in Latin America was in 1864, First Baptist Church of Monterey, Mexico, which still is functioning. It's a thriving, alive church. Um, but it, it, it took a long time for the gospel to spread all over Latin America. In fact, even to this day, Mexico is one of the least reached countries with the gospel. Uh, less than 10% of Mexicans are evangelical Christians. Here in our state, less than 2% are. So we would qualify in Michigan as an unreached people group. But throughout the rest of the Americas, the gospel has expanded and grown. For example, in countries like Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, uh, the levels, according to the Pew Research Center, is about maybe 40% of the population is evangelical. Uh, other countries where the gospel has exploded and bloomed is Brazil, uh, Argentina, Colombia, and, these, uh, and of course the Caribbean. Yes. Cuba, even though it's under a communist regime, uh, their church has expanded and grown, is very strong. Obviously Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, uh, these countries are where you see larger percentages uh, uh, of evangelicals. And they've been contributing um, not only to Spanish-speaking uh, people, but as well as uh, to uh, others in North America and in Europe. Um, Spain now has uh, allowed li religious liberty since 1975. So there's a growing number of uh, believers uh, in Spain. Uh, again, it's small. But uh, uh, we still are a mission field, uh, very similar to um, perhaps uh, what people encountered during the Reformation. When, when I was a pastor, uh, we were living in the Reformation. We were presenting the gospel you know, by faith alone, through grace alone, and you know, only depending on the scriptures, uh, is a radical concept to many Latinos still to this day, uh, not as much as to our our uh, North American friends and, and relatives. Uh, uh, these terms may seem uh, old-fashioned, but for Latinos, they're very fresh and relevant and, and attractive. No, it's really good for us to remember that the, the Reformation, we often talk about it as a historic event. Right. And for some, certainly it is an event we look back to the 16th century uh, for, but for uh, those of Hispanic heritage, right. Uh, there is still a need for the, the solas to be explained and a celebration of that. Um, when you think about growing up uh, in Latino culture, talk about how your heritage has impacted your faith, Felix. Wow. Um, yeah, so I was just sharing before, just um, my family, we were landed you know, in New York City, then went to Connecticut, and uh, our background, uh, we weren't faithfully, or my mom or dad would say they weren't faithfully going to church, but they certainly came to, from a Catholic background. And uh, I remember being six years old and living in an apartment with three families because we didn't have any family members here when we moved. And so that meant on a Saturday, there were 14 to 15 kids outside, you know, because all the kids had to go outside. And uh, at that time, sidewalk Sunday school was a thing, you know. And yeah. so, uh, you know, the folks at a church that were so faithful to go to different pockets of communities, this little Spanish church, um, went and started sharing the gospel with us kids and the parents came and the parents were invited to church and then uh, That's I remember my mom, you know committing her life to Christ when I was six and then that started us off on our journey She was the first person in our family uh, not just my immediate family, but even uncles, you know uh, cousins everybody to come to Christ and so slowly the whole family started going 
And, uh, man, I, I could say something, and, and you would probably agree, too, like us, us Spanish folks, we love some church. I mean, like we're going <laughs> Tuesday at 7, Thursday at 7, Friday at 7, Sunday at 10, and then Sunday at 5. And so church was so much a part of our lives. And, um, again, we were a bigger church, you know, as we continued to grow in that time, probably about 400 people in Connecticut. Um, but one of the things that's impacted and lasted with me is just a passion uh, to see lost people come to Christ, you know, and being someone that witnessed my parents coming to the Lord, my aunts and uncles coming to the Lord, and just our church had such a huge evangelistic heart. Um, that still impacted me and that uh, it just in my ministry, man, I want to see people discipled and grow in Christ, but it's always with an, an eye towards who else needs to hear the gospel, who else needs to be welcomed to the table and to hear the good news about uh, Christ. And so uh, from everything from passion, certainly with music. I play drums, and so uh, if I ever played drums here at Woodside, you'd hear like a Latin flavor to it just because I grew up in church playing drums. Um, it's impacted me from, you know, again, just uh, overall vision and, and, and mission more about going, always thinking about that person that has yet to be reached, and that was very much a part of my upbringing. Now you know you're going to get recruited to the worship arts department. Oh, just, <laughs> so just be prepared for your phone to ring. Yeah. But Pastor Eli, what about you? How has your heritage impacted your faith? Well, uh, uh, it's just like Felix. I attended a, a Spanish-only uh, church when I was little, um, I started going in 1962. That was many years before you were born. And, uh, <laughs> but I was only five. Not as many as you think. Yeah. <laughs> but I was only five. And our church was Spanish only at that time. So we sang all the old Spanish songs. And it was a little more formal church. So we had hymnals. Uh, but around 1970, my uh, parents' generation realized that to reach their children, they had to use English. And so we were the very first Spanish-speaking evangelical church in Michigan that became bilingual. So where the pastor spoke in Spanish and he had a translator that would, uh, it was his wife at that time, um, to, um, to translate into English. So um, it, it was called consecutive preaching, where he's preaching a paragraph in one language and then you hear it without having the headphones or others. It was just called simultaneous. But um, uh, that opened up lots of doors for our congregation. Not only did we keep the children, the, the, my generation, but then we also attracted African-Americans and Asians as well, and Anglos. And so our church became truly multicultural because we could express ourselves in Spanish in his songs as well as in English. And we were able to also integrate into our worship, uh, whether it was uh, um, music from each individual country that were represented. First Spanish grew to have 15 different uh, nations represented. Wow. And people sometimes think that the Latinos that were uh, uh, this amorphous blob, now I may be, but he's, he's not, he's very handsome. <laughs> but, but we're all very, very different. In fact, this is great having Felix and myself. Yeah. Felix is from Puerto Rican background and Mexican background. And each nationality is different. It's even though we speak the same language, um, uh, uh, Felix's accent is as different from mine as somebody from Scotland would be from someone from Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what we heard at our church. We had that big, rich variety. And, and for many years, uh, our congregation not only tolerated it, but celebrated it. Yeah. In fact, the last uh, about 15 years, we used to have in the month of September, a Day of the Nation celebration. Yeah. 
where we, we honored all the different countries represented. We had a big banquet where we had all the different foods represented. People would dress in their native costumes. And so we wanted the expression of the culture. So we loved it when our drummer had a Latin beat sometimes yeah. to the song. <laughs> and then we enjoyed songs you know, uh, that were up to date and modern that had been translated into Spanish and English. And, and uh, it, it was great growing up in that atmosphere and which allowed us to integrate ourselves to the rest of Detroit. We weren't an isolated, homogenous group of people. We actually uh, touched uh, uh, not just our area, we, we became a metropolitan church. Yeah, you can see uh, just the, the joy in your hearts as you reminisce about your upbringing and how your heritage shaped your faith. As an aside, I think it's important to mention, you talked about the first Latin uh, church being, evangelical church, being planted in Monterey, Mexico. Yes. Uh, which is where your family yes. is from. Exactly. Which I think is pretty significant. And uh, how the gospel has clearly, from generation to generation, just impacted your life and, and your children well, as well. My grandfather uh, received Christ in 1920. So we're an unusual Latin American family that the gospel has been in our family for a century now. Wow. And wow. He, he was the first that received Christ uh, in the city of Torreon, which is in central Mexico. And then one by one, he led his eight children to Christ by going to church. His wife was the last one. It took her 30 years, my grandmother. And then of his 18 grandchildren, uh, about 16 of us have placed our faith yeah. in Christ. We have three uh, uh, pastors uh, in the grandchildren. There's already two in the great-grandchildren yeah. as well. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All of us want to have that multi-generational legacy of faith in Christ, and, and clearly you have it. Let, let's talk a little bit about the contribution of women uh, in, um, in history and even in a contemporary sense of uh, Hispanic heritage to the church. Felix, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I can only speak for my culture and my upbringing, but it's very uh, matriarchal. Um, in, across all of the families where I grew up, or, or my, my cousins and even friends, the, oftentimes the, the mother was the spiritual leader, the uh, leader in the home as far as decisions for the families, and oftentimes was the person that responded to the gospel first. Um, I, I could speak, say that for all of my cousins, all of my friends that I grew up with, they all came because mom came, yeah. you know, and, yeah. uh, and eventually yeah. it happened where uh, I could say for my family, my dad, he loves the Lord, has had a, just a transformative work in his life. But he came for years and volunteered at the church because my mom was like, you're <laughs> coming, a, you know, you're coming. It's yeah. like you could not like it, but you're coming. And so uh, and so I, I could say, you know, even as you looked across church leadership uh, again and in, in where I grew up in Connecticut, there was a, just a network of churches there. You know, senior pastor it was always led, you know, uh, by a male and his wife would lead the church. But as you looked across ministries, oftentimes it was women and there wasn't a it, it wasn't about being politically correct or the role of women. It was a necessity, you know, saying, hey, we have to our, train this next generation. We have to reach the lost. And oftentimes you would see the husband come and the husband, uh, whether he stepped into that role of ministry or even a support role for these ladies that were making a decision to stand. And I, again, for my family, we moved here, it was my mom's decision to say she wanted a better life for her kids, you know, where things were rough in Puerto Rico. Then my father followed. My mom came to the Lord and she brought us all with it. Then my, fa my father came and, and he would say that too. And that's not, again, speaking in any way disparagingly about him, 
Um, but the role of women in, in my culture, in my context, very much leading the family on a day-to-day -day basis and leading spiritually and leading in the church out of a necessity. Um, and then oftentimes the, the spouse that the men joining in after that. Pastor Eli, when you think about the role of women, yes. what, what comes to mind? Yeah, same thing. Uh, obviously, mom is the heart of the home in, in Latino culture. And so mom is the one that may be the one that's initiating the spiritual content. You know, although dads now are, are, are becoming more involved. Um, we have the same debate in the evangelical church as in the English-speaking church, complementarian or egalitarianism. Um, regardless of what view of women's leadership in the church, pretty much all evangelical churches have a, a significant number of women leading uh, in different ministries. Yeah. And, and, and because of the necessity, and that many times the women are the first to, be, to receive the Christ and the gospel and the family. And, and there is at times a dearth of men. So um, I know for Spanish, we definitely uh, encourage women to exercise their spiritual gifts. I believe my mom had the gift of pastoring. She was in charge of the ladies' ministry, and she really cared for all the women under her, 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 uh, uh, under her care as, as a teacher. Uh, uh, she would pray with them, call them up on the phone, always be encouraging, writing notes, even got them our daily bread subscriptions. And Nuestro Pan Diario in Spanish, that's what she got. And, and so uh, women are very, very active in, in uh, not only in discipleship, but in, in evangelism. Uh, and of course, in the egalitarian churches, they're, they're obviously at the top leadership. But uh, uh, even in, in complementarian churches, women have a very strong and active role. Yeah, you know, when we think about uh, the history of, and the contribution, we've talked about music, we've talked about preaching, we've talked about the arts. Let's talk a little bit more about evangelism. And uh, as you guys think about uh, what is most needed for faithful witness and evangelization in Hispanic communities and Latino communities, what comes to mind? Well, Felix, we were talking, he gave a great story of how his church was evangelizing on his block. Yeah. And I think that's still relevant today than way back uh, 90 years ago when you were a kid. So <laughs> go, tell us that story, because I think yeah. that, that brings it out very clearly. Yeah, and that's what I, what I shared on the front end. I mean, again, um, I, I remember growing up, um, you know, it, it's almost, at least for me, like we were poor, but you didn't know you were poor. And so it's like we had seven kids staying in a bedroom made for one person. And for us, every day was a sleepover, so it was the best thing ever. When people started moving out, we were sad. We are going, how come they can't move in? And so, again, we would, um, you know, get kicked out of the house on a Saturday morning. Everybody go outside, come back in for lunch, and we'd go out there. And, again, this church that had a 15-passenger van with folks with flannel board and, you know, just trying to c communicate to kids at their level would get out and in Sunday's best because they weren't rolling in T-shirts and shorts and any of that. It was like, no, we're going to wear our button-up shirts, everything tucked in, a shirt called the Guayabera, which a lot of uh, Caribbean uh, guys wear, and uh, the ladies all in dresses. And all right, here we go on a Saturday morning. We're just ministering to kids. And all the kids would gather around, you know, and they're telling the gospel. And again, it, some kids would raise their hand to come to Christ. But really what you saw was the parents. And it's a lot different today, but there was a commonality, I think, again, at least for in my context, in my community, because there were folks speaking our language. There were folks that had come from where we had come from. And there was an openness to saying, hey, you're familiar in a place that's unfamiliar. Yeah. And I think, um, again, that just 
meeting people where they are. That that never gets old. You know, it's so much of who, what Jesus did, and so much of I, I could speak in my life what those folks did. That I, I mean, today in the day and age, there, there's folks that are new to this country, and uh, you know, we were talking before, and they want to maintain the culture. That second generation, which I was. Um, we're going we're going to assimilate a little bit more. And so I think that there has to be a heart to go a both and um, and, and it, we value our culture. But understanding like I, I had an issue at my church because I wanted to bring my friends, but they didn't speak Spanish. And when I went to the folks that were my parents' age, they're going, no, that's part of our identity. We're not speaking English here. They can go to any other church. This is a Spanish speaking church. And there was a rub there. You know, and I, God bless those folks. They did so much evangelizing. But for me, I'm going, I want to assimilate because this is home. And I think for us is going, how do we marry like those two strategies? So again, we value culture and identity, but first things first is, man, we are followers of Christ and that, you know, our mission is to reach the lost. And while we want to celebrate culture, um, certainly the mission supersedes that, just in my opinion. Oh, I agree. And, and, and the reason I want him to tell that story, it was really great. It, 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 we have to be outward focused. We cannot expect people to come into the building to hear the gospel many times for the very first time. That's one of the, the hallmarks of being evangelical, right? Yes. Evangelism. Exactly. To go out, gospel, spread the gospel. And, and we have to have an outward focus and an outward drive. And, and I fear that many times people believe if we have to have a nice structure to bring people in. But our people are going to respond when we're out in the community yeah, first. We're on the block. Exactly. So the idea of having the flannel graph on the sidewalk behind it, that is spectacular. We did the very same thing with our BBS. We, we had, instead of, we only had 20 kids show up when we had BBS in our building. We had 106 when we had five different backyard Bible club groups. And all of them almost were non-believers. And they, the, the parents wanted their kids to learn these stories, to learn these moral lessons. They wanted their kids to have a healthy activity in the summer. So w what we did in Detroit, w there was an empty lot. Nobody, o nobody owned it. We cut the grass and we set up our, our VBS for five days there. I love uh, that. And we did that in several areas of our neighborhood. And Creative man, evangelism. Exactly. You know, and I think that we have to remember whatever the uh, heritage is of the church, uh, that the church building is not meant to be a hideout. Exactly. It's meant to be a training ground exactly. for us to go out. Let's just kind of turn the page. You've been speaking uh, a lot of your comments, I'm sure, are being received by uh, the Latino community who's watching us, right? Uh, but what about those who aren't Latino? What can we do to create more welcome uh, and to uh, be used of God in our churches to, um, uh, yeah, drive home the gospel uh, for those of a Latino heritage. Well, you know, the model for Spanish has is very unique in that we had Spanish speakers and English speakers together in one service. It works, but it really requires a special formula. Yeah. A, a significant number of bilingual people who speak both languages very fluently without accent to people who understand both cultures, and that's unusual in churches. But a great model that uh, my cousin's church in Arkansas follows is that they have a special Spanish group, but the children integrate with the English speakers because that's what they think and, and reason in. The only challenge, I think, for a church is 
to have a, 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 a set-aside group that wants to reach out in Spanish to the first-generation immigrants. But then, really, you don't have to do a whole lot with Felix's generation, you know, besides him being handsome and he can easily <laughs> integrate in church, the, uh, it, 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 you know, Latino kids do assimilate. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, I know there's a lot of debate that immigrants don't assimilate and, and, and clearly the people of the first generation have a hard time learning language. You know, you suffered when you took Greek. And yeah. at your advanced stage. Yeah, so sir. when people come <laughs> here sir. who are in their 20s, you know, yeah. it's going to be a little more difficult to pick up the language. But kids learn it very, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. And so what can a church do? Well, maybe provide a meeting, a space in Spanish for those immigrants, the parents. But really for the children, it's just loving them, just yeah. accepting them just as they are. There's nothing special that needs to be done. And then... In my ideal multi-ethnic church, um, the, the worship service, even the English one, would still include some singing in other languages uh, of the congregation, just to get the congregation realizing that this world and this country is no longer this one homogenous blob. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, I know uh, at Woodside, that's something we embrace and I'm grateful for the uh, Spanish Bible study that we have here and those who are committed to that at Detroit campus and some of our other campuses as well. You know, as we wrap up, Felix, uh, same question for you. Uh, it should be non-controversial that every church should be a place of refuge, of welcome, of love, embassies of God's grace. But anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, I think um, and so some of my church experience and multi-site churches, you know, that I've been a part of, there's like a Spanish campus and you see it, um, the folks that I've seen do it best. Um, yeah, we, we want to provide that place where, again, for folks that are coming here as adults, you're just looking for familiarity. You're looking for people that you can share something with. And while we share the gospel, you know, there's something a little more surface level of like, hey, do you, you know my country where I'm from? Same similar experiences, food, music. Um, that's almost at a base level. And I think um, acknowledging that, providing a place, but then I think being intentional of like wanting, how do we help merge those two together? The places that I've seen do it best, don't turn a blind eye to say, no, we're one body in Christ and you got to assimilate to us. It's going, yes, that's true. But it's going, but we acknowledge that we're people. And what we look at first is just some familiarity in the room. Um, I, I've, I've been here now at Woodside almost a year. And it took a, about a month to find a group of like 20 Spanish folks that all go to the 1130 service, walk in through the same door, sit in the same section. Um, they're in a small group. And those folks, God bless them, they're always like, you got to come and eat with us. And I'm always like, I got to come and eat with you guys because they, they've got some good food. And, and, um, but they love Woodside. They call this their church home. But their first thing when they came here was like, who shares similar background and, and experience? Their kids are more assimilating. And I think, you know, one of the things that we need to do is acknowledge that, you know, something that goes a long way too, and maybe it's for me just because I'm, you know, I've been a musician, is that you hear your music and your rhythms and your tones and whether that's we're going to sing a verse or a chorus in this language or we're going to throw in musically even sounds from your type of music, you know. Uh, the last church that I had a chance to be a part of uh, you know, uh, five campuses had 95 different nationalities represented in the church and uh, had a really diverse worship team. And, they, you know, there was just an intentionality. 
and you knew when you were throwing in some music from different places because you just saw the reaction. And I think, again, it's not to say that culture matters. I mean, obviously, we're one body. We're one family in Christ, and we celebrate that. But there's such a, a beauty to what everyone brings to the table. And I think um, I, I can't speak for other cultures, but for Spanish folks, it's saying, hey, there's a place at the table for you here. And it's not you're you're at this spot because you're with your people. It's like, no, we are we're going to celebrate you. There's a place for you here, but we want you to be part of the greater family and intentionality with that. I think that's a great place for us to close in a moment. Pastor Eli, I'm going to have you pray for us. But I do want you to know you are welcomed here across all of our 15 campuses. We want you to know that you are loved and that you are welcome. And I'm so grateful that you've watched this episode of The Link. We also are going to include uh, resources that Pastor Eli and Felix and myself have recommended so that you can continue to learn and grow about the tremendous heritage of those of Hispanic background and those in the Latino community. Uh, Pastor Eli, can you close this in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, Padre Celestial, we need you so much now in this country. Te necesitamos tanto ahora en este país. We still live in a time of great division and fear. Todavía vivimos en un tiempo de gran división y temor. Father, we need a touch of your spirit. Necesitamos un toque de tu Espíritu Santo. We need, Father, to model Revelation 7 and Revelation 21. Necesitamos ser modelos, ejemplos de Apocalipsis 7 y Apocalipsis capítulo 21. Where all people worshipped just as they were, even in their own native languages. Donde todos te adoraban tal como eran en sus idiomas nativos. Father, the church needs to be a light for ethnic conciliation in our nation. Y la Iglesia Padre Celestial tiene que ser la luz para la reconciliación étnica en esta nación. We need you, Father. Te necesitamos. Move in our hearts. Mueve en estos corazones. May we be open, not just to Latinos, que seamos personas abiertas a recibir, no solo Latinos, but all language groups. Like here in our city, so many Arabs, con esta ciudad que tenemos tantos árabes, afroamericanos, asiáticos, we have African Americans, Asian people. They're coming to our city. Están llegando a nuestra ciudad. And they need the gospel. Necesitan la ciudad. May we have a missionary heart. Que, ten, que tengamos, Señor, un corazón misionero. To evangelize and disciple. Para evangelizar y discipular. No confundir nuestras preferencias con doctrinas bíblicas. And not to confuse our preferences with biblical doctrines. Thank you, Father. Gracias, Padre. Use Woodside to touch so many across the whole metro area. Y pido, Señor, que utilices esta iglesia, Woodside, a tocar a tantas personas a través de la zona metropolitana. En el nombre de Cristo, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Eli, thank you. Felix, thank you. All of our friends that are watching, I'm so grateful that you did. I hope that this has been enriching as much for you as it has been for me. And I can't wait. So we see you again on the next edition of The Link.